0: Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. So here is episode 216, God's Tattoo.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Chichi Bonnaya. I recently had to change my name because I was instructed to So, permit me to reintroduce myself. My name is Chinemerem Blessing-Wells, and um, I'm Nigerian, I'm 32 years old. I currently work as um, a sexual and gender-based violence educator here in Nigeria, with a non-governmental organization. And then beyond that, my nine-to-five, I also organize various events um, for young women and girls basically inspiring them to live a chaste, focused, and um, purposeful life. So at the age of eight, I was um, sexually abused by my uncle. I had to live with him because my mom, being a single parent, would always be on the road, basically working for different people in a way to raise funds to make sure that I and my other siblings could go to school, have food on the table and um, good clothes to wear. So at this point, she was gone for a very long time and I had to move in with um, an uncle who was a deacon in the church we worshiped in at the time. And you know, he started be grooming me because that's something, um, working in the sexual and gender-based violence space now, I have an understanding of this uh, in hindsight. I understood what my uncle was doing with me at the time. Because for a number of these perpetrators, either as um, pedophiles or people who just delight in abusing women or younger children, they take time to groom the child. They groom you by um, giving you gifts, saying nice things to you. And coming from a home where my mom wasn't available, my siblings were always um, verbally abusive. I had issues with my self-esteem. So this person was really nice. He would say nice things to me. He would tell me how beautiful I was. I've never heard it from anyone in my home. He would tell me um, how intelligent I was. He would give me gifts. He would give me money sometimes when I'm going to school. And um, it felt good to me because I didn't have anybody doing all of that. So, But I didn't know at the time that he was basically grooming me to be very comfortable with him until the time he eventually abused me. So this day I came back from school and he was home. There was no one else at home. His wife was away at work. My sister was also at work. So he invited me over into the room and kept saying things like, I shouldn't be afraid. He's going to take care of me. He would make sure that I go to school and all the way to the university and and all, and uh, take care of my mom and all. And before I knew it, I think I went numb because at that time I was even too young to understand what was about to happen. Then he tried to penetrate after he had asked me to just lay down and relax on the bed. He couldn't because obviously I was still a virgin. And I think he went to get something more like a lubricant and eventually did have his way. You know, when he was done, he gave me the bedspread that was stained with my blood and asked me to go put it in the backyard so that the wife wouldn't see it. And um, I had to do the, the laundry myself eventually. And, you know, this continued after a while to the point that I got comfortable with it. I say I got comfortable with it because I was still within that environment. I was still living with this person. They provided me and my sister shelter. They fed us while we were under their roof. So I was pretty much comfortable with what he was doing so much that I wasn't even fighting back anymore. I didn't even have the strength to fight because I wasn't educated well enough to even know that I was being abused. I was being taken advantage of. At some point, he introduced me to, he was the first person who introduced me to alcohol. And before you knew it, he introduced me to smoking. And I I pretty much grew up and I became a rebel. At the time when I was an adult and I could make the right decisions, I was still um, making the wrong decisions. Because I, it might sound strange because right now we live in a society where sexual purity is not something that has been upheld. People feel it's the norm for you to be sexually impure. You, you can go ahead and have sex outside of marriage. But the truth is sexual purity is still something God expects of his children even now in 2021. Okay, so as an adult, when I, I could make the right decisions of not being sexually active and stop smoking and giving up alcohol, I still went ahead doing all of this because it had become the life that I was accustomed to that become the only thing I understood. I had issues with low self-esteem. I had issues with anger. I had issues with receiving and accepting love, fostering healthy relationships with people. And when I say people, it wasn't just about the uh, male gender, but the female gender as well. I would um snap at every little thing. And anytime someone is trying to correct me, I always thought it was um, you know, an attack on my person. Oh, I missed out something. So in the period where I was with my uncle, he actually did got me pregnant. He wanted me to keep the pregnancy. But, you know, as much as I wasn't wise enough to know what was happening, I was wise enough to know that I didn't want to have a baby with this man. So I told him I wasn't going to keep it. I wasn't ready to have a child and, and all of that. And um, eventually he made arrangements for me to get an abortion, which I did. And I think it was at that point that I started seeing some type of lights, and I, basically left that environment and thankfully my mom had to come back to Lagos at the time so I moved um, back home with my mom and my other siblings. So in 2010 I was with this guy, awesome dude, accepted me the way I was and um, we were sexually active still in the relationship. He was a Christian but of course he didn't have any issue with being sexually active. So on this day he invited me over to his church, they were having um, some sort of event And you know, the thing is, I really can't remember everything that happened during the conference, but I did remember that they had some sort of mini concerts and young people coming to perform, to sing to God, to worship. And they did it so wholeheartedly, so effortlessly, some were even crying. And to me, it was strange. It was, it was just very new. And In my heart, I kept having a conversation with myself. I think it's later that I realized that God is always with us. He has always been with us. He will always be with us. Um, When things are good, when we acknowledge him as a father or not, he's always there. Okay, the Holy Spirit is ever present. But until we become conscious of his presence, that's the only time we can access the strength that is available with his presence being, being there with us. So I, I didn't know at the time that, of course, it was the Holy Spirit that I already had then, that I was having a conversation with on the inside of me that, is this real? Are these people um, really worshipping God for real? Are they really feeling what they are doing, crying and raising hands? I say this because prior to this particular um, event, I had attended some Christian conferences in the past, where the young ministers, once they leave the stage, they go back, they go outside the church and you see them lighting cigarettes and some taking alcohol. Some even have to take alcohol before performing. So for me, I was like, this is just fake. You people come and lift holy hands and behind the scenes, you're doing something different. But for this particular event in 2010, it was different, you know? So I was having this debate. I was asking myself questions. Could this be real? Or this is just some charade, same as what I had seen in the past before now, where they just come on stage and act all pretty lifting holy hands and behind the scene they are drinking and smoking and all and after the ministration of this um, young artist the pastor came on stage and the sermon began honestly martina i can't recall what the message was about but i did remember the scripture that there was matthew six thirty-three, and it says um seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and every other thing shall be added unto you and there I was, you know, um, asking God questions. Every time I get to narrate the story, it's, it's usually very emotional for me, you know, because at this time in 2010, I was already a secondary school dropout. Um, I think it's called high school in the US or something. Yeah, I'd, I'd already dropped out of secondary school when I was in my second year, senior second year. I'd given up on a whole lot of things. I ran away from home. I was living with this boyfriend of mine and shortly between his place and some of the friends. I was already taking marijuana at this time, still smoking and drinking heavily. Whenever I'm depressed, it was alcohol. I would have sex with this guy. Whenever I'm sad, it was alcohol or I'm having sex with this guy. When I'm happy, it's either I'm having sex with this guy or taking alcohol and smoking and... Basically, that was what my life was about this time. And when the pastor read that scripture and he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and every other thing shall be added unto you there on my seat I started asking questions again and basically telling God and asking asking now being conscious and really having a conversation and saying are you saying that if I seek you first you can make my life beautiful again you can take all of this mess that I have made and make something beautiful out of me and for every time I ask that question he says yes And I'll ask again, are you sure if I seek you first, I can actually get back to school? You can reunite my mom and I and, you know, make me happy and whole again. And I would hear the response, yes. I don't know how I got to the stage that day, but I knew the altar call was made and there I was in front with everyone else that came out that day. And I um, said the words that the minister had preached and um, then began my journey to wholeness. That began my journey to self-discovery. This happened between um, October and November of 2010. I got admission that same year into the university because I had, I'd been writing exams. That's um, the, the WAEC exams here in Nigeria. I've been writing exams and um, the, the first two I wrote were a mess. So I took another one and the results came out really nice. I applied and got admission into the university um, in 2011. I, I got admission into the University of Ibadan here in Nigeria and I started my journey. You know, so getting into the university was... Um, a new life for me was a new world. Cause I mean, getting into this four walls where I, I'm meeting with total strangers, people I'd um, never met before. It was very difficult. Cause I had people who were genuinely showing me love, but I'd come into that four walls with so many baggages things I hadn't dealt with. Yes, I'd given my life to Christ. I answered the altar call, but there was really no one to mentor me, to teach me how to study the Bible, how to pray, a whole lot of other things that a new believer needed to know. I have this particular friend, and I'm so thankful to God that she stayed through um, because she's one of my closest friends now. And she would come then, and she was genuinely showing me love. But because it wasn't something I was used to, I'd always been in an abusive environment. I've always had friends who were taking from me but never giving to me. And here I was, this amazing young girl, giving me things, you know, just spoiling me with love and I couldn't accept it because I thought I wasn't deserving of it. I thought maybe it was, she needed something from me because I've had people even whilst I was in secondary school who had um, lured me into lesbianism by being nice to me, you know, and I fondled with that a bit. Okay. So I thought that was what this person was doing, but I really thank God because at some point I had to be deliberate with my growth. Um, I had moments in my first and second year where I fell back into the scene of um, fornication. It wasn't like I was dating these people. I just got comfortable with them. They were nice to me. And before you knew it, sex or something was my way of saying, oh, thank you. I appreciate you and all. Um, But I remember one time I eventually joined a campus fellowship and I was attending services and started reading the Bible gradually. It wasn't interesting at first. I didn't understand anything I was reading at first. I grew up in a Christian home, right? I was always going to church. But um, the fact that you were born into a Christian home or you get to go to church with your parents every day doesn't necessarily mean you understand what what is being done for every time you go to church with them. And, and that's why they say it's a personal relationship. We all need to go to that point where we take responsibility for our relationship with God. We need to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. Yes, my mom could have been a pastor or whatever, but the truth is when I become an adult, God is not going to be asking my mom about my salvation. He's going to ask me. So I need to take the responsibility of growing spiritually. So this day I went to, um, there's a lawn, we call it um, the chapel ground. It's a very big place where um, students go to pray. We have um, students who are Islam and we have students who are Christians who go there to pray. So I started following some people to the lawn to pray. And on this day I was there praying and um, somebody came to me with a word of knowledge and says, the Holy Spirit wants me to study the person of Joyce Meyer. So I said, oh, awesome. I know her. I've watched a couple of her broadcasts on TV. I've stumbled on some of her books, but I've never really paid deliberate attention to her person. So when this person told me this, I thanked him and um, we continued praying that day. And I went back home and that was how I started Um deliberately feasting on materials from Joyce Meyer. And for the first time, I saw someone who had gone through my own experience, doing a different world, though it was her father this time. Prior to that time, I always thought I was the only one with the issue of being sexually abused. Being um, introduced to the person of Joyce Meyer, I realized that, oh, someone had actually experienced this and um, her books did help me grow in my work with God, in um, rebuilding my self-esteem and seeing myself the way God sees me. A lot of times when someone has been sexually abused or sexually violated, or even if you've been living a life of sin, after you come into Christ, if you're not conscious in um, building your work, chances are that the devil will always come with accusation. The the, the scripture refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. He would always come to make you feel guilty, to remind you, Martina, there were times that in church I would lift up my hands just worship and I would have flashbacks of me having sex with a guy. And that would be the end for me that day in the service. I wouldn't be able to worship any further. I wouldn't even hear anything the pastor is preaching. I'll just be filled with condemnation for the rest of the service. You know, but as I began to study this materials by Joyce Meyer, as I began to read her books, read her messages, and also read the Bible, I began to see myself the way God sees me. I began to see that if any man be in Christ, indeed, he is new. He's a new creature. All things, everything that they have done in the past remains in the past. Everything has become new as long as you are now in Christ, which is why once you're born again, you go through the the baptism and, and, you know, it shows that you have died your old life and now you are alive in Christ Jesus. The more I studied the word of God, the more I had the understanding that it's not about me. It's not about anything that I'm able to do or not do. He's loved me with an everlasting love. So There's nothing I can do for him to unlove me. Not the sin that I've committed in the past, the one I'm going to commit today or tomorrow. Nothing I can do. The Apostle Paul says that what then can separate us from the love of God? Is it sin? Is it death? Is it um, nothing? There is nothing. He's loved us with an everlasting love. And the more I studied the word of God, the more I saw me in the world, the more I saw that God has plans for my life, the more I saw that there is purpose in the pain that I had to go through in the past. And um, the more I asked questions, the more I sought Him, gradually I began to grow in my faith. I could boldly declare that I'm born again. I could tell people um, that I'm, I'm now a Christian. I had to disconnect from my friends from the past because a lot of times when God is starting something new with us, He would need to separate us from the old. Right, And he's not going to come from heaven to do that. You would have to take that responsibility on yourself to say that, okay, I'm starting this life. If you say you want to live a chaste life and you're hanging around friends who are always talking about having sex, who are always talking about porn, who still masturbate and all of that. Chances are that you will fall back into that sin. Okay, the scripture says that um, do not be deceived. Evil communication will corrupt good manners. So you can't hang around people who haven't come to the light that you are in now and expect that you will grow spiritually. It's only a matter of time that they will draw you back into that sin. But as you isolate yourself from them and you walk on your own self-development, you just might grow to that point where you can now witness Christ to them. Where you can still be friends to them and they, they won't be an influence instead you would influence them such that even when they are talking about sex and all of that they won't even say it around you because they know you i have friends now who say oh no you can't talk about that around chiji she's going to snap at you and all of that because they are aware of where i stand they are aware of what i stand for and they understand that there are certain things they can't do around me and then with the issue of self-esteem i started reading certain books dress me as ministry ministry actually has helped me I remember reading The Confident Woman and it opened my eyes to the fact that I'm beautiful and being beautiful has nothing to do with how I look on the outside because there were days that I couldn't stand in the mirror. Then if I stood in the mirror and I stared back at myself, I didn't like the woman staring back. I, I saw her as someone who was filthy, who was ugly, who was dirty and all of that. But the more I studied the word of God, the more I studied the books of Joyce Meyer, I saw myself in a different light and it has nothing to do with how I look on the outside It's the way I feel from the inside out. Okay. So I'm happy with myself. I don't get validation from anyone. I don't need an external validation to feel good about about myself. I tell people that until you get to that point where you're all dressed up and you go out and nobody says anything to you about how you look, and you still feel happy, then you're in a good place with your self-esteem. But if for every time you go out, you expect someone to tell you, oh, Chi-Chi, you look very good. I love that dress on you. It's good to receive compliments. It's amazing to receive them. They they sort of boost our self-esteem. But the truth is we need to learn to live without. It should come from the inside out. The Bible says that out of the belly flows rivers. So rivers of living water, good health, joy, love, peace should flow from the inside of you. You shouldn't be expecting it from people. It should flow so much from the inside of you that you begin to spill on others, that they begin to feed off the joy that you exude, the love that you exude, the the, the self confidence that you exude. Okay, so I can't exactly say that I have it all put together now. In the words of Apostle Paul, I do not consider myself having attained, but there is one thing that I do is I forget the things that are behind and I press towards what's ahead and that's um, living a life that glorifies God and that's witnessing Christ to as many people that I come in contact with from the things that I do on social media to um, my conversations, one-on-one conversations with people to being open to invitations such as yours to share my story and let people know that God is love. The entirety of the gospel is love. God loves us. He wants us to encounter the love. Any gospel that preaches condemnation is not a gospel. Any gospel that talks about you, I'm going to rot in hell. Yes, heaven is real. Hell is real. And the fact that grace is available is no license to sin. If you encounter the message of grace and you still feel comfortable sinning, then you haven't encountered it. You don't understand what grace is. The grace of God is not a license to sin okay? The grace of God is what we enjoy. It's, it's a free gift of God. It's the love of God that compels us. I tell people that there are still days, because I'm not married yet, there are still days where I feel like wanting to have sex. I feel honey sometimes, especially when I'm ovulating as a woman, okay? I have the liberty to decide that I want to go and fornicate, but I won't do that. And the only reason I can't do that is the love of God that compels me. When you love someone, you want to please them. When you love someone, you want to go all out to prove to them that you love them. So for For me, not being sexually active now, I feel it's like my highest form of worship to God, that this is something that I used to enjoy doing. But Lord, if this is the only way I can show you that I love you, if this is the only way that I can worship you truly in spirit and in truth, then um, I'm not going to do it. No matter how the fact that I'm hungry doesn't necessarily mean I need to eat. I don't have it all together, but I'm right now in a place where I trust God completely. I'm deliberate about my faith work. I am deliberate about the things that I expose myself to. I am deliberate about the people that I let into my space, the things that I listen to both on social media and off social media. And in all of this, I am conscious that it is not by my walks of righteousness. Christ perfected everything on the cross for me. All I do is walk from a place of rest. All I do is rest in him, rest in everything that he has done. And um, understand that I also have a role to play. I wouldn't say that um, I'm standing. The scripture says, let's heed the things that he stand. Take heed lest he falls, okay? So um, I'm deliberating the things that I do and the things that I do not do. So you talked about how when you were sexually abused at eight years old, that
0: you weren't really educated enough to know that you were being abused. So how can we <laughs> who have young girls in our lives
1: and our families? How can we educate them? Thank you so much Martina. You have to start early. And um I didn't understand a lot of things until I became a sexual and gender-based violence educator. You know, having to go for th- trainings, reading up things and reflecting back to my own experiences as a child you have to start early once that child can talk once they begin to say mama once they begin to say papa once they can utter certain words even if it's one word or something once they they start speaking you need to let them know a a lot of times even in christian homes and even in our churches we feel uncomfortable to talk about sex we make It seems as though it's um, a taboo, something to, to not speak about. When you mention sex, you hear people giggle, you hear people cringe, and I wonder... God created sex. Sex is beautiful. It's just that the world has now perverted it, but sex is beautiful. God created sex for a man and his wife, okay? So you need to start early. Let the child know their private parts. Let the girl child understand that her breast shouldn't be touched by anyone. Her vagina shouldn't be touched by anyone. Nobody should just start caressing her unnecessarily. And it's not just the girl child. Statistics says, we use the United Nations statistics. It says one one in four girls before she reaches the age of 18 and one in six boys. So it doesn't mean that boys are not being abused because even here in Nigeria, in my field of work, we have seen young boys who have been abused by adult women Ladies who just call those boys into, into their homes and start watching pornography with those with cho- boys and sometimes begin to fondle with their penises or ask the boy to fondle with their breasts and all of that. So as parents, as um, older siblings with the younger ones, you need to start early to educate them, to let them understand this thing, to let them understand the signs of who a perpetrator is. And I need us to debunk the myth that only strangers abuse people. The truth is, our younger ones feel more comfortable with those who are known. Because at a very young age, we tell them, don't take things for strangers from strangers. I don't know how it is in the US, but here in Africa and in the UK that I've visited recently, parents always tell their children, don't take things from strangers. Don't do this, don't do that. So when that uncle, who is um, a member of the family, comes visiting, maybe during the holidays or something. The child is free with that uncle because she believes this is um, someone familiar, this is family. So I ought to be comfortable around my uncle. And so we need to educate them that a man, whether uncle, whether your brother shouldn't touch you because here in Lagos, Nigeria, in my field of work every day, I go to work Monday through Friday and every day we have a survivor walking through our door. The least we see in a day is about three survivors when I go to the office every day at work. And from the cases that we have seen, we have people who have been abused by their fathers, people who are abused by their brothers, people who are abused by their neighbors in the compound. So it's not limited to strangers. The perpetrators are mostly known to the survivors. So we need to start early to educate them. And as parents, we also have to read up because if we don't understand it, then we won't even know what to teach. For instance, when, when I saw my first period, my mom didn't know what had happened to me because she wasn't educated. I just went to her because I was I was also shocked that I was bleeding through my vagina. And I went to her that mom, I don't know what's happening. And she she started beating me and asking me where I went to because African mothers, they beat a lot. She started beating me and thinking maybe I'd gone to do something more. And I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. I'm also shocked, that's why I came to you. But if she was educated, she would have told me, oh, you're seeing your period. This is what happens when you get to this particular age. And um, thank God now our educational systems are beginning to incorporate these things in their teachings and all of that, but in the church as well, we need to talk about these things.
0: Yeah, that's really great advice, especially the part that you were talking about with the strangers versus family, because we don't really talk about it from the family perspective. It's always like, you know, watch out for strangers. Don't take things from strangers, but not to be fearful of family, but just to be educated, like you said, and not to shy away from it and pretend like family aren't possible, like perpetrators of this abuse, And so that's, that's really great advice. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. You also talked about how you had to come to a point where you had to like take responsibility for your own relationship with God and not just coast by on like your parents' relationship. And then before that, you were talking a little bit about how you came to God, but you didn't have someone to kind of like mentor you in that. And so you kind of kept teetering or falling back from time to time. So uh, how were you able to build your relationship with God and take full responsibility over time? Like what was that journey on, on growing in God? What did that look like for you?
1: I think I got to that point where I would go to school, especially um, the campus fellowship. And I had other students who would say, God said to me, I was praying and God spoke to me. I read the Bible and I was seeing this and I'll be there like, okay, I'm reading the same Bible. I pray also. How come God isn't telling me anything? I started wondering and later on from wondering, I began to desire that. The Bible says that God grants the desires of our hearts, especially when they are genuine, especially when they are desires to honor him, to to help people, to bring about a change. God honors such desires. If it's um, a perverted desire, if it's a desire to kill, steal, and destroy, he won't honor that. But as long as he sees that genuine hunger, he says, um, those who test shall be filled. So if he sees that hunger, if he knows that indeed this person wants this, he gives it to you. So I guess God really saw that desire because at some point I was like, God, I want to be able to hear you too i want to be able to confidently not necessarily come at um, public conversations to say oh god said to me but i needed to have that experience for myself because i started doubting okay i was speaking in tongues already could it be that the tongues i was speaking in at that time was fake maybe i mean i was probably just cooking things up okay so i started reading the word and when i read i pound up you know when you read the scripture you don't really like you're reading a novel. In fact, for those who have very creative minds, when you read a novel, you're painting pictures, you're trying to imagine things. So when you study the Word too, you should do that. And beyond that, you should ask questions. Okay, Lord, how come Mary did this? Why did Joseph say that? why didn't they go through, you know, the more you, the more you do that, the more you enjoy reading the Bible. There are times that I study the Bible, Martina, and I'm laughing at, you know, I'm just like, God, are you serious? You did that? Oh God, your sense of humor. So there are times I'm reading the Bible and I'm in awe. At times I'm reading the Bible, I'm beginning to cry because I sort of just sense God. I see his move in that particular scripture that I'm studying. And there are times where I'm reading, especially when I'm reading the <laughs> that of, Moses and Pharaoh, the children of Israel, Israelites in Egypt, I always crack up every time. I'm like, Pharaoh, really? Then I go like, but God, you had in his heart, <laughs> you know? So, try as much as possible to um, understand that God is your father. He's your friend. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to dialogue. He wants to answer the deepest questions of your heart. So when you study, ask questions. Don't just go um, read your Bible without a notes. If you don't have um, a writing pad, maybe you're in transit or something. There are various apps that you can have on your mobile device that you can take notes on and all of that. And um, after a while sit down and pound and reflect, there was a time that I had a scripture that for one week, I kept repeating. In fact, the Isaiah 58, 12, which is my purpose in life, I had to say, it. you know, the way we go for Sunday school classes and we had to recite the Sunday school verse. I don't know if it's done in your country, but here in Africa, you know, there's a Sunday school and you have to recite it. And when you come the next week, the class teacher is going to ask you, so what was our memory verse for last week? So there was a time I had to, make sure that I always recited Isaiah 58, 12, until it became flesh. So until that scripture becomes flesh to you, that you can hold it, that you can hold on to God, that you have an understanding. There was a day that I was going through and I encountered the scripture. I think it's in Isaiah or Psalms, but it basically talks about, it says that, can a breastfeeding mother forget her suckling child or the child at her breast? It goes for that to say, well, yes, even if she forgets, I am your God, I will not forget you. I'll never leave nor forsake you. Behold, I have engraved. Another translation says, behold, I have permanently tattooed your name on the palms of my hand. Your woes are ever before you. I meditated on that scripture so much that I have so much confidence in God that my concerns are before him. He can't leave me nor forsake me. I don't live in fear of, is God here? Is God there? Another scripture that I encountered that has helped me in my financial freedom is a scripture that talks about that the young lion may suffer lack and wants, but those who diligently serve God shall lack no good thing. I meditated on that scripture that it became flesh to me. Right now, I live in financial freedom and I tell people that I don't live on my nine to five paycheck, but God sorts my bills. I don't know how. I don't know how. I just know that the young lion suffers lack and want, but because I diligently seek him, I will not lack anything good. And I never run dry. I have enough to be a blessing to others. I have enough to carry out whatever ministry, whatever instruction that is asking me to, and it only gets better. God isn't going to come from heaven to do the work. You have to sit down with your Bible, you have to study, you have to take check references and thank God for Google. I mean, you don't have to buy 10 different Bibles. You can have a KJV and you go online and you can check the passion translation. You can check the, the, the message translation. Just for you to have an understanding of what that scripture is saying. Because growing up, the only Bible I used to read then was a Tao Arts, Do Make It, and I didn't I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand the book of what that version was saying. You know, but we have simpler versions now that you can read, you can compare scriptures and have. A better understanding of what that scripture is saying and walk victoriously in Christ. Because if you don't have the word, trust me, <laughs> the devil is going to use you as football and just play you all around and <laughs> you know, you live, you live instead of you to um live a victorious life, you live a defeated life, a life of guilt and shame, when you're supposed to live with your head up high and confidence in who your father is and all that he's made you here on earth.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I like what you were saying about how if you're a novel reader and you're reading the bible you're going to have all these imagery and kind of like that mindset that you can use as you're reading and studying the bible and i love reading novels and i feel like the downside of that is you just want to take the book and read it like a novel and just read these long passages but Mm -hmm. but what you're saying about like meditating and pondering on a scripture like i feel like that's the only way you're really going to remember it if i read three chapters in judges I'm not really going to remember, you know, the details or like that one or two verse that like, I really need to like meditate on, but it's not like you said, it's not until we kind of like slow down, find, you know, a verse or two or few, or even if we read a chapter, like, you know, read it a few times, go back over it, find that verse or two that really is speaking to you, pray before you read it and ask God Mm -hmm. like what he wants us to get from it. And I feel like that's what I've been hearing a lot. So it must be for me. (laughs) Martina, stop trying to read 50 pages. (laughs) When the enemy comes at me with something, I'm not going to quote the 20 pages that I read yesterday because I don't,
1: yeah. (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah, what (laughs) were you saying? (laughs) Yeah, I just need one. So I was saying um, for someone who's um, saying I don't know where to start or how to start, start from the New Testament, Matthew. Matthew decide, okay, every day I'm going to read Matthew chapter one. You don't have to understand it for a start. Just start reading first. Because a lot of times the reason people are not consistent in studying the word is because they feel, I don't understand. I'm reading, but I don't understand. Don't pressure yourself to get it all at once. Start by reading first. Build consistency in reading. Wake up every morning, read one chapter. If you can do two, one chapter in the morning, one chapter at night, if your work schedule permits you, depending on how much time you have on your hand. But just start by reading one chapter. You don't have to understand it. One thing I've come to understand about the word of God is it's spiritual, right? So it's like you're saving money in the bag. You're not exactly sure until you probably go and check or you have a need that's when you can fetch from it, right? But just keep banking. You'll be shocked that you've stored something and one day something will happen and you're regurgitating what you have put in. It's just like the more, the more you listen to certain songs. I have certain songs from the past that I, I listened to. That I still have the lyrics to date. And that's because I remember Celine Dion. I listened to her over and over again. Now it's hard to get her lyrics off my mind. Some I have forgotten, but if I'm deliberate, if I focus my mind to it, I'll remember the lyrics. So it, because I did that over a period of time, I was always listening to Celine Dion at that time. So imagine what would happen if you read a book as powerful as the Bible. It says it is spirit. It is God in prince. It's the spirit of God in prince. So open it. Just read. Don't bother yourself with understanding for now. Just keep reading. Keep reading. Build consistency at reading first. Once you see, oh, okay, you've built consistency. Now you can pick up your Bible without feeling bored. Because some people, the moment they open their Bible, sleep comes calling. (laughs) The moment they open the Bible, a friend calls on the phone and they that's why sometimes it's not advisable to read the Bible on your mobile device. Get the print. Because before you know it, you're reading the Bible and you're flipping through Instagram. You're navigating from Instagram to Twitter to all of the other apps that you have on your phone. So have the print itself. And, you know, just start reading to enjoy reading and build consistency in reading. Once you can tell that you have built consistency in, in reading, then you can move to studying. Okay. Study now, you're getting the notes. You're okay. I read uh, Matthew once a day. You write out things that you notice. There was a time that I was writing when I was reading Genesis, verse one of chapter one. This happened and all of that. I was writing all of those accounts in my notepads. Okay. Then I graduated to the point where I would read the entire chapter, but I'll pick one particular verse that I would meditate on for the rest of the day. OK, so like you rightly mentioned, Martina, it's not about reading um, 90 pages or About You could read 90 pages, but in that 90 pages, check a, a line of maybe five words or a sentence or something or two that you would pick. And that would be your meditation for the rest of that day. When I'm weak, I am strong. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. You know, just pick something that you would keep reciting for the rest of the day. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And you can move on and pick something else and start reading. Okay, because right now there are some words that I even have inside of me, some scriptures that I have inside of me that I'm not even aware of. But when a situation presents itself, it just comes out and I'm speaking to that situation because it's already in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I've been in church my entire life and there's scripture. So I like how you were saying, kind of comparing it's like a bank account. Like you're making these deposits without, you know, even really realizing how much is really accumulating. But in the moment that you need it, it just comes up like that. And so there can be times where, I don't know. Someone will. I can be talking to someone, or they're going through something, and I'll be trying to encourage. Them. I don't know. It always works when I'm talking to someone else. Maybe I need to start talking to myself. But um, a moment <laughs> where someone needs encouragement, and I'm like pulling up all these scriptures, and I'm like, "How do I even remember that?" But it's so mm-hmm. true. Like from these years of making deposits, it really pays off, and it's it yeah, it's just incredible. It it's just incredible how it works and yeah you know. the bible's not boring like the more you read it you're no. just gonna you're just gonna be laughing and crying and doing all types of stuff like I'm reading judges and I think yeah. that's one of the most interesting books like uh yesterday I was reading and this guy, judges they go through so many different characters I don't remember and then their names are so complex I don't remember the name but this talk to yeah. me I don't bother the names <laughs> This this one guy he was like praying like I don't know, God deliver me or whatever. And if you deliver me, when I go back home, the first person to come out and greet me, I will give them up as a living sacrifice Sacrifice to you. He goes home and his daughter comes out and then he starts crying and rips his his clothes off. Oh my gosh, God, no, what? But he prayed and he was serious. And so he Mm -hmm. actually went through on his promise and had to kill his daughter. I'm like, (laughs) that just showed (laughs) me like our prayers are powerful. Life and death is in the power of the tongue and God will answer our prayers according to his will, but he'll answer it to the T. If you pray God, when I come home, whoever comes out, I'm going to give them to you. Like he didn't have to pray that. Prayer. <laughs> he set himself up, but, <laughs> but yeah, the Bible is so interesting and yeah, there's stories like that. And then there's obviously those pieces like, like we're talking about that you can just mm-hmm. grab out and meditate on. So this conversation with you is definitely reinvigorating that for me. And so I know that This week is going to be a great week of Bible study and meditation. And so um, thank you again. Tell us your new name one more time. What is it?
1: My new name is Chinemerem Blessing Wells.
0: Yes. All right. I love it. Well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Thank
1: Thank you so much for having me, Martina.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. If you'd like to share your testimony on an upcoming episode, visit www.martinanicole.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help get these testimonies to more ears. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're not going to this again. So I tried to grab my purse, try to get in my car to leave. And I remember he came
1: to my car literally jumped in the passenger seat and put a gun to me and told me to leave.